Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good morning. We're live from the Adelaide Street Oval, the home of the Bombers, the top of the table team in the Hunter Central Coast AFL competition. Absolutely picture-perfect day. The ground looks immaculate. The curators have done a superb job. And alongside me, the man known as the guru, Gary Birkinshaw, former former boss of the Black Diamond AFL Football League. Gary, good morning, mate. Welcome to Bomberland. Yeah, good morning, Steve. Fantastic morning. There's not a cloud in the sky, which is really good given we had a bit of overnight rain. But, yeah, the ground here at Adelaide Street Able looks an absolute picture. The facilities are, are, are magnificent. They've got the new change rooms up and Ooh. running. And, gee, full credit to the Kalani Vale Football Club for the job they've done in uh, oh. in the way they present this as Ange James, we've got the um, yes. we've got the women's plate game on at the moment. Kalani Vale versus Cardiff. Um, and look, yeah, it's great to have footy being played so early and uh, yeah, magnificent day for it. Yeah, Burko, sorry about the sound effects in the background, but Anne's Jones has just got a couple of touches. Beautiful to watch. She's one of the most accomplished players in women's sport. She's represented Australia at so many levels and she's running around in this early game because later on today she's playing rugby for the Trojans. Yeah, look, Anne, she's so versatile, Anne, isn't she? And... Um, yeah, she's playing for Kalani Vale. She's she's represented the, the the competition here in AFL, and she's only been playing for for a few years. And then she's got rugby union. She's playing league tag, and then she's got Oz Touch. She's got such a busy weekend. You would have seen her play for Gosford, and that was a star-studded women's team, and really yeah. the forerunners for what we're seeing now. Exactly right. So when once the women competition started, which would have been oh back probably. Oh, probably six or so years ago now, and Gosford were they were actually playing in the Sydney competition, and she was actually the star of of, of that team, and they and they were the benchmark, and I suppose is were a, a pivotal reason why women's football got off the ground on the on the Hunter in the in the Black Diamond uh, Cup co- competition, and uh, and it's grown from from there there onwards now, and it's great to see the women out there actually uh, uh, running around. This is the uh, the second grade competition for women, so they've got two grades going around. But we mentioned Anne, she's. Um, I think you'll find with this one, Andrew's probably the best player on this this field quite easily. Yeah, isn't it amazing that we're talking about reserve-grade women's AFL? Like, when I first came down here, it might have been 1999, and I think I came down to the first training night, and there were six senior players here. Yeah. And I yeah. thought, where is everyone? Yeah. Now, I think if you come down, there's a fair chance you're going to have maybe 60 men and maybe 40 or 50 women. Oh, without a doubt. And it's just growing. And that's it's not like that's at senior level. Then you see at junior level, there's, you know, there's, there's 11s, there's 13s, there's 15 at female female uh, level of um, of junior AFL. And now you, then you go to the women. There's two grades of women. And the, the pathway opportunity available to women now is at AFL level is unbelievable. We've got the Swans who are going to come into the AFLW competition next year, which is, this is the pathway. We're actually in the Swans pathway up in this region. So the opportunities moving forward are just just uh, yeah, unended, really, for where they where they can actually end up. Ange is a veteran of women's sport, but if she was a couple of decades younger, would she be playing AFLW now? Oh, she'd be she'd be big chair because she's such an athlete. And you know, like we know anything now with professional sport, especially with and 
women in particular, if you're an, you're an athlete, the, the doors open for every sport they go because every sport is looking for the, the athlete. They they all believe they can teach them the skills, but if you've got an a- athlete. Every major code wants and she's certainly an athlete. Yeah, and you'll see that with the NRLW. So if you look at their resumes, most of the girls have played Oztag for Australia. They might have played some rugby sevens. Quite mm. a lot of them won medals at the uh, Rio Olympics, and now they're playing NRLW. Some of them were soccer stars or football stars. So, yeah, just fantastic to see. Absolutely love it. Just before we go to Nick Montgomery, where have you been, Guru? You've been away. I have been away. It's been like a uh, – I think it's been about um – about five five weeks since I've been here, and I've been up to went out to, to Central North Queensland. I've got uh, got uh, my wife's sister lives out there. I've been to Melbourne, watched the mighty Tigers run around, and went down to Wagga. We said saw Gan Main and Grong Grong Matong, and so it's been a bit of a, a bit of a tour around the country. So, but it's, it's good to be back. Yeah, you didn't see my mate Lordo down there. I didn't see Lordo, but I, I did see Gan Main, but didn't no Lordo there. Yeah, yeah, there should be a statue of him. Hey, let's <laughs> let's rise as one. First standing ovation of this uh, Saturday morning. And it's for the uh, head coach of the Central Coast Mariners, Nick Montgomery. Good morning, mate. Welcome back to the show. Morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're well. And uh, tell us about the medal night last night. Kai Rolls, the central defender, was the big winner in a week where he makes his Socceroos debut. Yeah, it was a fantastic night to get all the fans and sponsors in the room. It was a little bit strange because... Obviously, we're, you know, we're celebrating a, a fantastic season and, you know, we had quite a few boys that were on the under-23 duty and obviously Kai Rolls in the Socceroos, so they weren't actually there to accept their awards, but I think it's amazing for the club that, you know, they're in, in the international setup and getting recognised, um, you know, for, for the stellar seasons that they had. Yeah, and for Kai Rolls, I mean, that was a win against Jordan this week. Uh, did you sit up and watch that game? Yeah, I watched the uh, I watched the game. Kai was fantastic, and uh, like I just mentioned, then you know watching Nizzy and and and, and Lewis Miller, Jacob Farrell, and Luke Kowal playing for the 23s was a proud moment for 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 me and the club. And and yeah, it's been you know it's been a, a great week for 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 that recognition that the boys have got. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that the boys there in the under 23s. It must be so pleasing, Monty, to actually to see those players come through your academy, to then to to actually to go go through and, and now representing Australia at, at under 23 level. You know, it, it it just speaks volumes for the the job that the Mariners are doing at that academy level. Yeah, and look, everyone knows the story. I, you know, I spent a few years in the academy with these boys, and one of the biggest reasons I got into coaching after after playing was just just the fact that you can you know help change people's lives and. To give a young player a debut from the club in the first team and, and, and see them progress and, and go on to international uh, recognition, is, it's amazing. But for the club to have so many young players now that are getting recognised, I think that's not happened for a long time. So long may it continue. And, and yeah, look, the academy is a big part of the Mariners. Every, everybody knows that and, and we have to produce our own players. So you know, to be able to do that and, and do that consistently is, is something that we're, strive, we're striving to do moving forward. Nick, uh, it was a great win by the Socceroos. They were down 1-0 against Jordan and then Bailey Wright in the 40th minute. Awer Mabil uh, also scored with his back to goal uh, from a set piece. So 2-1 win against Jordan. What happens next for the Socceroos? Do we know our pathway forward? Yeah, look, it was a friendly game. So, you know, the, the, to, for Kai to get his, his debut was, was fantastic. And look, and he's got a big job ahead of him. He's got two, uh, two crucial games coming up. Well, look, winning, winning is winning, and to get you know to get a win against Jordan was what they needed, and now they've got to kick on and, and, and try and get two results in these World Cup qualifiers because you know it's a big task ahead of them. Yeah, it's a game against the UAE, is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Uh, coming up this week. 
yeah, Wednesday uh, Wednesday morning, I think it's at four o'clock. And look, it was a bit of a blow for the, the Socceroos, certainly leading up to these games with Tom Rodgick, you know, arguably probably our, our, our best-known Socceroo, has made himself unavailable. So it certainly makes the job harder. But, but Monty, how do you think that they'll fare against UAE? Yeah, look, they've got a good chance. UAE, uh, you know, they're not a pushover. And, and you just mentioned there about Tom Rodgick pulling out. You know, I think it's a real shame that Jason Cummins didn't get called in as that, uh, that extra attacking player. Um, but look, I think it's uh, you know it's a big game. It's a big game. It's a big test, and and hopefully they can get a result. Because if they can get a result, and and that gives them the confidence to go into the next game. If not, then it's obviously going to be a really difficult task for them. So yeah, um, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, everybody will be supporting and hoping they get the result. So Nick, the other big one this week is the AFC Under Twenty Three Championship, and uh, the the Australian team winners, the Under Twenty Three team, against Kuwait two nil. The great news out of this game is Jacob Farrell plays in the 23 shirt. Lewis Miller plays. Nizzi's a part of the squad as well. And also I see up front in the nine is Alu Qual. So plenty of Mariners DNA in that under 23 side. And I guess you've had a pretty tough week, mate. Did you sit up and watch that one as well? Yeah, fortunately the season's finished, Steve. So I've, uh, I've been having a few late nights. You can probably hear my voice. I'm a little bit run down, a bit, bit of a bit of a chest infection um, but yeah to, you know to see the boys and again representing the Mariners in at national level is fantastic and, and a lot of the games are on late at night but I've been sat up with my with my, my laptop and everybody's in bed and I know Sergio my assistant is you know he watches every game as well so nice no, like you said it's, it's fantastic and, and to see so many young boys that have come through the Mariners academy now now representing the country and you know long may it continue. Yeah, tomorrow they've got Iraq, so that is match day two of three, followed by Jordan. Uh, Gary, you're next. Yeah, mate, obviously the A-League season come to a conclusion last Saturday night with Western United uh, winning the title. I suppose it's a bit of an upset, I suppose, beating the high-flying Melbourne City, but uh, look, a good result for, for Western United, and uh, yeah, look, they've had a great season. Yeah, look, finals football, finals football, once you get in there, it's a lottery, and all credit to Western United. It's a team that that uh, couldn't beat us in the season, so you know it gives us big belief that we can we can continue next year. You know, recruitment now is key, and, and you know I look to bring a couple of players in. Been working hard on recruitment, and you know it's always a difficult time of the year. You have to you have to make tough decisions, let some players go, and, and bring some players in. But you know I'm fully focused on on bringing the right players to the club to to improve on what we have this year, and, and not only that, keep developing players from from the academy into the first team. So yeah, it's, you know it's five weeks off now before we start back pre-season, but be on the phone and speaking to agents and, and, and yeah, trying to improve the team. So, um, you know, we uh, cup final this year, top six and, and lots of success stories. But, you know, that's that's uh, we move on from that now and it was good to celebrate all the, all the records and the awards last night. And, and yeah, can't wait for pre-season now. We're starting back on, on the 11th of July. Hey, Nick, uh, we're just watching uh, women's AFL. Ange Jones has got another touch and a shot at goal and it's gone through for a behind in this reserve grade game. So, Great watching the superstar, Anne's Jones, in action. Just indulge me, uh, Nick. So the Supporters Club Player of the Year was Josh Nisbet last night. McDonald's Fan Player of the Year, Josh Nisbet. So uh, just incredible for the pint-sized superstar from the Mariners. Yellow and Navy Foundation Newcomer of the Year, Jacob Farrell. Golden Boot, Jason Cummings. What a, what a year he had joining our team late. Five-year service awards, Ken Shembury and Kai Rolls both received that. Now... Can you elaborate on this for us? The Volunteer of the Year, Robert Inwood. Can you tell us more? 
yeah, look, that's a really important award. Uh, you know, every club has a lot of volunteers, and, and they're, they're the people that are behind the scenes on match day. That you know, they work all day, every day to, to to help. You know, to help the match day experience for everybody else, and they don't always get recognised. So, I think it's an amazing award, and, and for Robert to get that, he was, you know, he's quite emotional. And when you see that, you know, as a as a coach and a player, you really understand that. You know, there's a lot of people that you know their lives revolve around the football club, and they're really passionate. So, I guess. You know, an amazing award for, for someone to receive and, and, and give awards you mentioned and everybody deserved their awards and, and yeah like it's uh, you know it was a, it was a good night to celebrate what what was a fantastic season fortunately we didn't finish with any silverware so you know next season we'll be pushing hard to make sure we can we can give ourselves the best chance to compete with everybody yeah, I really love those awards, Gary. Uh, you know, as soon as I arrived here this morning, the first thing I saw is uh, there's a guy on the barbecue, like you know, just after 8.30 in the morning. There's umpires out here. I dare say that's all free of charge for the love of the game. Yeah, you're right there, Stephen. Look, the only thing to keep in mind, the last game here today will kick off at quarter to three. So that that won't be finishing until, until after five o'clock. So these guys, we got here at about half past eight and everything was set up. The goalpost, the grounds marked, and as you said, people filling roles. And it's going to be, a, it's a long day and they do it for the love of the game. And no, all clubs have got them. No club can do without him. So look, any recognition that we can give him is, you know, is never enough. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Nick, um, I noticed that uh, Daniel McBreen, former grand final hero, was the master of ceremonies last night. Did he make the room do a standing ovation? Was there a standing o? Uh, I think he wanted the, the room to give him a standing ovation. He's still talking about the goal he scored in, in 2013. But no, nah, it was, uh, the, <laughs> it was a, there was a funny moment. Obviously. Uh, Mac is a big part of the club's history as well, and, and to have him back on stage, um, and, and lucky, you know, he saw the club through difficult times as well. Um, we had a bit of banter, but now nah, he's, he's, he's a top top lad, and he's probably one of the best commentators around. So to have a former player, you know, supporting us now and and, and seeing what we're doing and, and helping us is, is it's always good to have players back at the club. Yeah, I tell you, he has done a great job in the commentary box. Uh, Nick, our people have said to your people that we owe you like a bunch of coldies. So uh, let's try to make that happen now we're in the off-season. Yeah, no, listen, I'll definitely come and catch up with you guys. Uh, I've been very, very busy the last couple of weeks. But nah, it's always great to speak to you and thanks for your support all season. And always, always here to talk to you and, and yeah, discuss Mariners and, and football in general. One of my all-time favourites, Nick Montgomery. No one wore the shirt more passionately. Maybe Hutch. Maybe a yeah. photo finish, do you think? Yeah, I think so. But look, he's done wonders for the Mariners. It's great to, great to see him now leading the club. And the success that he's actually bought this year, like obviously didn't get the ultimate success, but where the club's position, where he's positioned him after the season in charge, you know, you know, augurs very well for the future. Yeah, I think they go down against Adelaide United, but I think they're a whisker away from kind of getting to the big dance. Yeah. Uh, you know, an incredible season. And, you know, it's the first time we've had a former player at the helm. Yeah. And you can see what it means. Like, it just filters all the way through. But it starts from the ground up, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. And, and, and he's right in what he says there now. Like, such an important part now. The, the actual playing part of the season's all done and dusted. But it's so important now what happens between now and kickoff for next year and player recruitment and, and, and everything, preparation, everything like that. Because like any professional sport, if you don't look to continue to improve and you just stand still, the other sides will go straight past you very quickly. I think if you look at that national squad, the Socceroos squad from... The game earlier this week. So if you look at the lineups, apart from Kai Rolls playing, you know Trent Sainsbury's on the bench, which was kind of surprising. But Gianni Stensness is there, so another former Mariner. So everywhere you look, Matty Ryan's the goalkeeper. Yep. Everywhere you look, yep. 
this club has made a significant impact on football in the country. Well, one thing I don't think you can doubt the Mariners for is what they've done is that is they actually can develop footballs. Unfortunately, a lot of them they move on, but they have no trouble developing. That means they got their academy system right. Um, the coaching is, is in good, and, and obviously the environment is such that those player, young players are able to develop and, and go from the academy to to represent the Mariners represent Australia. Even if they move away, they, they, they always remember where they come from. So they're doing a lot of things right, the Mariners. Hey, by the way, need to go to a break. Uh, thanks, as always, to Robson Civil Projects. We'll talk some more AFL in a moment. But next, we're going to talk State of Origin. Michael Butner joining us live from Coffs Harbour on Saturdays on the Coast. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, welcome back. We're live at the Adelaide Street Oval, the home of the Mighty Bombers in the Hunter Central Coast AFL. They play Cardiff later on this afternoon. Top of the table showdown. And just up the road at Tugra, we've got another blockbuster, Newcastle City up against Terrigal, the reigning premiers. Yeah, look, big round of football for the um, AFL Hunter Central Coast. And, um, yeah, Kalanivale and, and Cardiff, they've only had the one loss between the two of them. That was actually Kalanivale getting out of the top of Cardiff, up at Cardiff in, in round four, which is a, a good result. And they're undefeated, the Kalanivale Bombers. And Terrigal Avoca, they've been the, the benchmark. Terrigal and Newcastle City, I think they've... they've, they've won every grand final since 2007. So they're obviously the, the perennial team. And they're just off the pace a little bit, so that'll be a big game at Tugger as well. You saw the Bombers in action a few weeks ago when they beat Terrigal for, what, the first time in 15 years? Yeah, that's right. And uh, look, it's always been the bogey for uh, Clanivar getting over the top of their, their arch rival, Terrigal Avoca. But but a couple of weeks ago, that, that game, they were very, very good, Clanivar. Very well coached. Um, they were able to have a good game plan. It was, the conditions were difficult. It rained in the morning, but but they, they dominated the game. And, you know, Terrigal got a few goals late in the game, but, you know, look, it, it, it holds Clarnivale in good stead. Who played well? Um, oh, look, the, the, they're very good through the middle of the ground. They've got, I, I know Damien Hector, who's, who's been here for a few years now, he's very tough through the middle of the field. But you look around, I think that the, the big improvement's going to come from the fact they've got a, a bloke's return to the club in Tim Oosterhoff. He, he won a uh, Elliot Davy medal as a, as a a young skinny ruckman, and now he's gone. Had two years of playing over in the in the West Australian Football League. Come back, he's now a real big, solid footballer. Sits at full forward now, and yeah, he's a, he's a real target from up forward. Yeah, so he left here at about ninety kilos, and yeah. he's gone to WA, hit the gym, yeah, and starting to mature. And now he's about one hundred and ten. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a big lad now, and yeah. um, but still very <laughs> mobile. And uh, yeah, when you've got a target up forward, and you know, I know you spoke to Murray Goolagong last week on the program, and you know, if you've got somebody who can kick goals, it's 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 very very it it, it puts you well and truly forty because they've also got good players through the midfield. Rick White's back. Josh Midford's been a fantastic player for the club. Is it? They'll get plenty of plenty of ball that goes forward. If you've got someone there who can take a mark and kick a goal, do you very hard to beat? Yeah, you know, uh, I'd like to get Butes's thoughts. We're about to go to him in a few moments' time, but I was thinking about what I miss about being a player, and there's a couple of things that came to mind yesterday, and I've never really gone that deep, but I thought one thing I loved about playing footy right through my life was firstly the one-on-one contest so that's your first goal is to beat your individual opponent and I'd like to say that a lot of the times through my career I got on top but then your next goal is to play the chess match where you've got to work out how you beat the opposition and sometimes that's easy yeah but then other times it is a real chess match and you're thinking what do we do in this match so that we get on top 
And if you're beating your man, how do you start to drag in other men that can free up some of your other players? So yeah. you're trying to beat not just one, but you're trying to beat like a cohort of, of defenders if you're playing in the forward line or in the back line. You're trying to be such a presence that you can affect the games of two or three other people. And then does someone else need your help? So I really miss that strategic battle. Obviously, you miss the physicality as well. So, you know, every time you hear that siren go off, you think it's showtime. Show and yep. you wish you could still throw the boots on. Let's welcome Buttes from Coffs Harbour, mate. Uh, what are your thoughts? What do you miss the most about playing footy, my friend? I can, I can assure you, boys, and good morning to you both. I can assure you that the thing I don't miss is waking up on a Monday morning sore. And sorry <laughs> for myself. Um, but, look, I, I guess it's that competitive nature of playing team sport, that camaraderie, working with each other. And probably, to be honest with you, the thing I miss most of all is not the actual playing because you know it's the playing is the end of a hard week's work of effort. I love the training and being around your mates on a regular basis and uh, you know training with them, you know pushing each other, working hard for each other, building combinations, and then you get to put that out on show on the weekend, um, and hopefully it's enough to get you across the line. And if it isn't and suddenly you get another chance the following week to address all that during training and work on it the following week. Uh, yep. And that's, I guess that's the beauty of, you know, team sport and uh, especially at that higher level where you're working so hard for each other. Yeah, yeah. Michael, you must miss, like, being on the end of a back line that's like a Ferrari, the greatest that the NRL has ever seen pretty much in terms of point scoring. And there must have been times when you're just going, this is unbelievable what this team can achieve. Yeah, well, mate, you know what, it's funny because I'm up here uh, in Coffs Harbour for the Australian State Cup, the juniors, and, uh, you know, Brian Smith has been doing a bit of consulting with Oztag. Uh, I was with him last night, and we had a, a few drinks, and uh, I'm rooming with him at the moment. So we're watching the footy, and we're discussing certain aspects. And just to get a coach's perspective and, and someone who I, you know, obviously uh, very much respect, uh, it's great to get an insight into how he sees it. And he, you know, we, I know yesterday we had a lunch with the referees and uh, officials and he was talking about that 2001 side and how they were the, the best attacking side of, of all time. And uh, it's nice to hear him be proud of that. And it's also nice to know that, you know, you were a part of that team uh, and that it meant so much to him, despite the fact that, you know, we didn't get uh, the prize we're after. Um, there were plenty of positives to come out of that season. So, yeah, you know, to be on the end of a back line or to be part of a back line or part of a team like that, it's, uh, yeah, that's why you play the game and what you love so much about it. Yeah. Uh, are you top and tailing with the master coach, Brian Smith? Uh, no, thankfully I've got my own room and he's got his own room, so that's a good thing. Hey, uh... We're off to Alberto. Uh, oh, ask one more question, then we'll go to the news. Right. Obviously, we've, we've got uh, you talk about talented backlines and things like that. Well, we've obviously got the, the state of origin starting on Wednesday night, Buttes. And gee, there's, there's plenty of talent in, in both those sides. The sides were selected. How did you, you sum up that? Uh, look, I think they were pretty much going to pick themselves. I think that probably the biggest debate for New South Wales was the centre positions. And and some may be surprised by the selection of Jack White in, in the starting lineup. Um, I think they've done a great job in picking both Jack White and Steve Crichton for the simple fact that I think you cover 
all positions. Unfortunately, Nico Hines will be out of his man. I just don't think he has the uh, number of positions or the ability to cover the number of positions as a Stephen Crichton and a Jack White offer as a combination. You know, Nico has obviously been in outstanding form. Um, he can play halfback, he can play fullback, but your chances of those guys coming off the field at any stage are probably very slim. Whereas, you know, to have someone like Steve Crichton, you've got the fullback position covered well and truly. You've got centres, wingers, uh, and in the event that a half or a 5'8 does get um, taken from the field for whatever reason, you can move Jerome Luai to halfback, you can put Jack White into 5'8. So I think from that perspective, uh, I think they ticked the right box there and it was a very thought-out process. Uh, as for the Queenslanders, look, I'm looking forward to the deputants. Uh, well, uh, Selwyn Cobbo, and, uh, you know, we've seen what sort of season he's had so far for the Broncos. Xavier Coates, uh, he's an outstanding form for the Storm. Um, it's going to be a really, really big battle. And, and look, oh, I'm looking forward to the battle of the halves, to be honest with you. Um, BCE and Munster. Munster's been in outstanding form. And, of course, the Penrith connection of uh, Cleary and Luai, who obviously have been in outstanding form and continue to be. I like what Luai's doing this year. I think he's expanded his game and become a more running uh, style of player, uh, which makes him more of a threat to the opposition. So hopefully we'll see that in origin. I know we've got to go to the new Steve, so I'll sum it up very quickly. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll hear from you guys uh, after the break. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely coming back after the break. Uh, I'll tell you the one that I want to dissect, and... Yeah, I actually don't like this. Like, I would have picked Jake Trebojevic every day of the week, but I want to get your thoughts after the news. I'll tell you what I just noticed. One of Butes' great friends, and I mean one of his dear friends, is Ange Jones. Uh, Ange is putting on a master class out here in the reserve grade. I did notice then she could have used her left foot, but instead ran around onto the right. Did you notice that? I did notice that, yep. They're the little things that we're looking for in certain players that, you know, if you know that Ange is going to turn onto the right instead of using her left, we're going to go after that at some point. Exactly. We know which way she's going to turn. Every day of the week. I told you, it's like a chess match. Uh, this is Saturdays on the Coast. We're off to the news. Back with Buttes in just a few moments' time. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, magnificent day here at the Adelaide Street Oval. Uh, the field just looks absolutely perfect for footy. We're watching the reserve grade women. Hey, just before we go back to Buttes, or in fact, we can involve Buttes in this conversation. Wednesday night, we went to Tugra, the cinemas. Maverick is out now. Top Gun Part 2. Buttes, you want to see this. It is absolutely brilliant. In fact, I came out thinking I want to join the RAF. I want to be a pilot. Uh, yeah, just... In terms of sequels, it's almost better than the original because the special Steve, effects I, I these gotta, days. Have you, have you Steve, seen I've got to say, mate, I saw it on Monday and I was I walked out of there so pumped. It was yeah. unbelievable. It was yeah. worth the 35-year wait. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. And if you haven't seen the original, then it makes no difference. There are some subtleties yeah. in there and you can see the similarities in terms of the, the storyline. But it made no difference, mate. It was absolutely brilliant. And Maverick, a.k.a. Tom Cruise, was at his very best. Yeah, it was yeah. the old dog versus the young dog. Well, I agree. I think it's some of his finest work. And uh, before we went in, uh, I don't know whether I should, should sing on the show, but I was uh, in Sharon's ear. 
highway into the danger zone. I've got to say, I was actually surprised that it, that song wasn't played throughout the movie. There yeah, was no, yeah. Should have been on Endless I was Loop. For it somewhere. And I, I was disappointed too. That Where was Kelly McGillis? Like, uh, I know there was a love interest in this one. I don't want to give away too much, but we needed Kelly McGillis back. Bring it back. Bring it back. But I've got to tell you, Penny looked all right too, just quietly. <laughs> hey, Butes, uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mentioned a moment ago about Jake Trebojevic. I would pick him every day of the week, regardless of the form he's in. And I just want to get your thoughts. So the forward pack for New South Wales, Payne Haas, Damian Cook is hooker, Junior Parlor, Cam Murray, after playing one, one game back with the Rabbitohs, Tarek Sims and Isaiah Yo, who walks into the team. But what are your thoughts? Look, I, I've got to say, I thought Trebojevic would have been there somewhere. Um, and because of what he brings to the side, you know what you're going to get from him. He's a eight and a half, nine type player out of ten each and every day of the week. And he's never let down the New South Wales side. Obviously, that would have been, I would imagine, the hardest decision for Freddie to make. Um, he's stuck loyal to a couple of players. And, you know, Tarek Sims, I, I don't know where his form is at or how strong it is. But I just, he's obviously, you know, backed him and, you know, he's going to go with loyalty. But outside of that, I would suggest that um, it is a very, very strong uh, forward pack. Great to see Ryan Madison uh, and his contribution, uh, well, his selection. Um, he's obviously been playing good form with the Eels and uh, certainly deserves his opportunity. Uh, at the expense of probably uh, Jake Trebojevic, and I, you know, I just go, well, you know what, it's really unfortunate for Jake, but... You know what, he'll be around the squad, he'll still be part of it, and uh, he'll still contribute plenty, I have no doubt about that. I could imagine he is bitterly, bitterly disappointed. What about the other big omission, and that's the Fox, Josh Adokar, who scores a couple last night, courtesy of a brilliant kicking game from Matt Burton. Yeah, look, you know what, that's exactly what Brad Fittler wants to see from players who are dropped, that these players go back to their club land, not with their head down, but with a point to prove. And I think last night Ado Carr did that uh, and has put Freddie on notice to say, you know what, mate, if you need me, I am here. I will not let you down. And uh, it was great to see the Fox. Uh, he's obviously built up a, a pretty damn good combination with uh, Matty Burton at the moment. And that second try that he scored um, was great vision on both their parts. To, to have the wits that he did um, and then Burton to have the of mind to put that kick across as soon as Fox gets the ball in his hand with no one in front of him, no one's chasing him down and uh, he proved that last night it was a, a really solid performance for the Bulldogs, disappointing them nonetheless because you don't get the two points um, against a, a, an understrength Panther side, but I've got to say Steve, I did look at the sides you know, when they lined up, the Bulldogs still look so understrength compared to um, a side like Penrith who had seven of their origin players out but, you know, you'd back the Panthers side every day of the week uh, up against that Bulldog side on paper who just seemed to be lacking um, probably three or four quality players, I'd suggest. Yeah, and the Bulldogs got within four points. But I think, you know, that pass from Paul Vaughan cost them dearly. You know, suddenly they're, they've got some momentum and then a pass within their own half that, you know, didn't need to be thrown. And, you know, that's what the good sides do. They work their way through their set. They apply more pressure. So, you know, I think a missed opportunity for the Bulldogs. I, I did send Butes a few text messages last night. If you're looking around the dressing room and you've got, okay, so you've got six or seven players out on origin duty, 
but you've still got seven players that led you to a premiership the year before. I'd be looking around the dressing room backing us in nearly every day of the week. What are your thoughts, Butes? Oh, look, it gives you a lot of confidence. There's no doubt about it. And, and you know what? I look at the players that they brought in. They don't lack experience. They don't lack confidence, right? And, and that's the beauty of what this Panther side, they've got depth within their ranks. And, you know, to bring in Sullivan, to bring in, you know, the wingers and the outside backs that they had to, um, oh, you know, Eisenhoof, Eisenhoof and uh, Chris Smith, who's been a bit of a journeyman, but nevertheless, you know, he scores a first try last night and contributes massively. Suddenly you've got this step there that you know that you've got the confidence to get through this origin period. And you may have some hurdles, but look, I've got to say, if they get through this origin period and win two out of their three games, um, they're going to be extremely happy and comfortable with where they're at. And I yeah. like the debut of the young kid, um, and his name eludes me at the moment, but the 5'8 for the Panthers, I think he did a great job. And I love the fact that they showed the presentation on Fox Sports. Uh, he had his partner in there with his child. His mum was there and the emotion that this kid showed uh, in expressing his gratitude, you know, for being selected in the first grade squad and what it meant to the kid. That sort of stuff is, and I was sitting next to Brian at the time and I said, you know what, I love that they do this. The, the significance and the importance they place on debuts and who they get in the room to, you know, celebrate that and to present the jersey is really significant and important and something that the player will never, ever forget. Yeah, you'd be talking about Kurt Falls, uh, who ended yes. up kicking five goals last night and had an absolutely sensational game. The stuff dreams are made of. Virko? Yeah, yeah look, and, and Ivan Clear in his press conference said last night, like last year they lost both their games in the origin period when they had their origin players out. So they, they've improved from that. But Ivan Cleary came in and did say, he said that, well, well, we, 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 had, we had six or seven players out, but what it does is create opportunity. And some of those players they brought in are have played a lot of NRL over the years as well. You had Stange, you had Uz- Eisenhower. They've all come in and, and played a game. And when you got the system right and you've still got key players, you still had Corusau, you still had Edwards at, at the back. Um, you know, Kick-out was... Kick was, was sensational again. So so they've still got the, the core there. And if you're just putting a couple of players in who have been dying to, to get an opportunity, and, and, and that's what you're getting. You know, and whilst it, yeah, it's probably a loss to the Bulldogs, they would have probably thought that they might have had a big chance to win. But... Jeez, you, you can't knock a side like Penrith. You don't win competitions without having depth. Yeah. And that was showed last night. Yeah, Butch, I just want to ask you one more before you go this morning. So yeah. uh, the Queensland team, you mentioned about a couple of debutants. So Selwyn Cobbo, of course. But what about a couple of these North Queensland boys? Reuben Hurricane Cotter is going to play lock forward. Harry Grant will come off the bench. Uh, so impact off the bench. But the other player from the Cowboys, Jeremiah Nanai. You're looking forward to watching those two Cowboys players make their origin debuts on Wednesday night? I've got to say, I've never seen a back rower um, who chases the ball and has the ability to catch, um, follow up through on a kick and score as many tries as he had has. And, and Nanai has done that and done it well this year. And, you know, it's led to his selection in the... Uh, uh, the Queensland Origin side. Anytime you've got a back rower who can do the things that you need him to do, you know, including, you know, hit the ball up, you know, defend well. But if he's got that extra string to his bow, and that means he's got the ability to score tries, and he is a try-scoring back rower, it's what made Steve Menzies who he is uh, as a player, and we most remember him for his try-scoring ability. Nanai uh, has shown that he can get across the stripe, and it doesn't matter how he gets there, 
He's got that ability. And Ruben Cotter, look, one thing I know about um, Cotter is he's not going to take a backward step. It'll be very interesting to see how he goes up against uh, some hardened and some bigger front rowers uh, in Haas and Paulo, who are so used to that origin environment. Uh, and he's done well throughout the his, you know, early NRL career. But you've also got, uh, this is the next step level uh, for him, the next step up for him. And uh, this will be his biggest test without a shadow yeah. of a doubt. I have no yeah. doubt he'll be able to handle it, but it's going to be a good test for him. What, so they've named him at 13, but you think he'll play in tight. Is that where you think they'll play him? Yeah, look, I think he'll play that. He'll play a Tamalolo-type role as a back rower. I don't think he's got the ball skills to play like an Isaiah Yo or a Cameron Murray thirteen uh, role. I don't know if Murray's in the, the, the back row, but, you know, the style he plays for the Rabbitohs where he's that ball-playing back rower, um, I don't think Ruben's got the ability to do that. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Hey, I tell you, it's an intriguing battle. We're just going to quickly put someone on the air who wants to say hello to you. Uh, live from the Adelaide Street Oval, who wants to send a message to Buttes in Coffs Harbour. Good luck, Michael Butner, and to all the Central Coast teams up at Coffs Harbour with the Oztag State Cup. Um, I heard we had a great day on Wednesday and Thursday, and let's hope for another ripper day with the 9s and the 12s up there um, today and tomorrow. Good on you, Ange. Good on you, Ian. And yeah, look, the, 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 I've got to say, Steve, the Central Coast guys have had a, a fair bit of success up here. The uh, 13s to 17s, six, uh, four, four of the grades or divisions uh, won the State Cup, which is fantastic. Another two made the finals or the grand final, and then most of the other teams made the uh, semis or quarters. So it was a uh, very successful campaign for the Central Coast mob. Yeah, and I tell you, Anne Jones, she's already got the three votes. She is just putting on a clinic down here in the reserve grade. Her team's behind, though. One goal, two to five goals, two against the Cardiff Hawks, who have been pretty impressive in this reserve grade. Great to see you this morning. Uh, Buttes, will let you go, but thanks so much for joining us and good luck up in Coffs. Good on you, boys. Have fun. Yeah, will do. Uh, great stuff by you too, Ange Jones. Uh, absolutely amazing so far today. And I can't believe you're going to go and play rugby later on today. Uh, this is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, and live at one of my old footy clubs, the Kalani Vale Bombers at Adelaide Street. We need to go straight to Lightning Luke King. I think we've got about four and a half minutes. Lightning Luke, good morning, mate, and congratulations on a podium finish in the TCR Australia Series last weekend with your new team in the Hyundai i30. Congratulations, mate. Just fantastic racing by you, and uh, ending up on the podium must have been a great reward for all your hard work. Good morning, boys. Uh, yeah, good to chat. I, you're right, Steve. It's, uh, it's big pressure off for, for me. Uh, very rewarding to do it with a, a small, uh, very tight-knit crew of guys. Um, had some great support from the Hyundai factory team, HMO, Customer Racing. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, well, probably wouldn't have got there without our relationship with, with them as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a good weekend. We knew the Hyundais were going to be strong at, at Sydney Motorsport Park, and I'm just uh, I'm happy that we've got the mid-season break now and I've got um, some champagne left over to, uh, <laughs> to ration out for the next eight weeks. Yeah, so you've been on our show before talking about Toyota 86s. You've raced in the Audi. You've raced in the LMP3 car in China. But 
What's the difference jumping behind the wheel of the i30? How does that compare to the Audi in the TCR series? Yeah, it's it's surprising how different um, two front-wheel drive, four-cylinder turbo cars can, can handle. Um, I really expected the, the i30 being a hatchback to be a lot more, uh, I suppose, uneasy to drive and a bit more unstable. Um, but I've since discovered through racing at Sydney, like we're doing 230 k's through turn one. And last year in, in the Audi, it was it was very nervous going through there. So the rear end was trying to turn on me. Whereas in the Hyundai, I can almost go through there flat on, on the throttle. So um, the two cars handle extremely differently. And, you know, I'd say the Audi's more like a go-kart and the Hyundai is a lot more like a conventional race car. So... You can be real aggressive with the Audi, whereas the Hyundai, you kind of have to finesse it through the corner and try and flow the car a lot more. I'll tell you what I have to do. Uh, I've got to share the onboard footage that you sent me with our SEN audience. And uh, some of that footage, Burko, is driving into the sun in Western Sydney. And I think Luke does it by feel because he's blinded by the light. Jeez, it's amazing. That, that's amazing footage. It is really, really good. And, and gee, for, for Luke, it just... It puts the drivers in a, in a different light. They're a different level, and you know, look, the, the driving at the speed they do, it's a, a fantastic uh, performance they do. Um, Luke, just a quick one, mate. The TCR Australia, your, your first round last week. How have you found uh, the, that that competition this year compared to last year, where you were quite successful, also? Yeah, it's um, look. The, the competition level hasn't really changed, mate. Like some of the some of the names have changed. Um, you know, Audi subbed out um, Chad Mozdet for Will Brown. Will's obviously very accomplished in supercars. We've got Fabian Coulthard in there now. But surprisingly, most of, of the, the battling that I'm doing at the front of the field is, is with guys like Jordan Cox, Josh Bucken, um, Zach Suter, who's a, another privateer in a, in a Honda. And, and they're putting up a really big fight. So um, it's, uh, I think, the top 10 in qualifying from like second through to 10th was separated by you know, three or four tenths of a second. So one one little mistake, and and you you go from second to tenth basically. So um, yeah, some of that footage that Steve was talking about is pretty wild, and we uh, we did some rallying in the opening lap. So I'll uh, I'll share that with you guys, and if the SEN viewers uh, are up for a bit of excitement, lap lap one of race two is uh, is pretty full on. Yeah, absolutely. We've got about one minute left. So what happens? I mean, there's a big break, as you said, between now and Queensland Raceway, which is where you're based now, up in Brisbane, followed by the big one. I, I mean, you're off, to, is it, you're off to Bathurst again later on this year as well? Correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and off to the home of horsepower down in, in Melbourne, which is, is Sandown Raceway, which we don't know how much longer Sandown's actually going to exist for. I'm, we think it might get turned into a housing estate soon. So it's one of my favourite tracks, and it's a historic circuit. Um, so it would be a pity to see it disappear. But we've got some great tracks coming up, and I'll spend the next couple of weeks, um, you know, activating with our sponsors and getting everything ready for the back end of the season and obviously starting to, you know, talk about doing deals for, for next year and getting on the front foot there to, to make sure we're secure. So there's plenty going on behind the scenes. It's a bit of Drive to Survive style stuff oh. in the background, um, talking with teams and all that sort of thing. So it's, a, it's never a dull moment, mate. Yeah, awesome, mate. We've got to leave it there. We're off to the news. But uh, congratulations, Lightning Luke King. Thanks, guys. Luke King joining us. Uh, we're off to the news. We're back in a moment. We'll talk some cycling. The Giro d'Italia is next on Saturdays on the Coast.
Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good morning. We're live from the Adelaide Street Oval. Loving watching the women in the reserves. I can't believe it's reserves. The standard is so good. And then later on today, we've got a top-of-the-table clash in the men's. The Bombers. Corey Shackleton has got this team humming, although they're trying to keep a lid on it. Up against Cardiff in the main game. Yeah, speaking to a couple of people around the around the team, it's all very low, very low key. They reckon that they haven't done anything as yet, but yeah. but they're flying. I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there. They are absolutely flying at the moment, the Un- Bombers. Unlike my day where we'd be talking it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so also uh, simultaneously just down the road at Tugra at the magnificent sporting complex there, Newcastle City up against the reigning premiers, Terrigal Avoca. So that'll be a cracking game as well. I'd back Terrigal in there. Um, I, the word on the street is Newcastle not going as well as previous years. Well, I think both these two sides are obviously the, the, the heavyweights over the last 10 or 15 years. And both aren't doing as well as they have this year. So it's a pretty big game. They're, they're both sides are a little bit off the pace at the moment. So they, uh, it'll be a big game that, that, that they need to win. But because Clarnival and Cardiff, who are clashing here at Adelaide Street Oval, as you mentioned, they're the ones that are actually setting the pace at the moment. Yeah. Uh, just back at headquarters, Adam, uh, can you turn on your mic just so our listeners, this is what Saturdays on the Coast is all about. So Adam could have stayed in bed. He's really struggling this morning. But he's brought himself in for the team. Adam, uh, good morning, mate. How are you feeling? Morning, guys. Yeah, I'm feeling not too bad. It's nice uh, to have you guys in the background here. So on a Saturday morning, each and every morning. Yeah, you can hear there. He's, he's definitely struggling, but he's, he's brought himself in for the Saturdays on the Coast team. It's the commitment that you really need, Steve. You know, that, it, we can't do our job without Adam doing his job back there at headquarters. And look, we're really appreciative of the job that he's actually doing. So thanks very much, Adam. Really appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Yeah, <laughs> he's got uh, he's busy doing research too because the uh, French Open finals are on this weekend. The NBA finals are underway at ten thirty. We'll talk to Moose Rebilliard. What about that game yesterday? Celtics against Golden State, forty to sixteen. Can you believe forty to sixteen in the final quarter? Yeah, I actually watched that that game and uh, just looked the three point shooting in that last quarter by by the Celtics. Well, the three point shooting throughout the whole game. I think Steph Curry set the record in the first quarter. I think he shot seven three pointers in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, and and then the Celtics just come back and it's a, it's a big win on the road for the Celtics and um, you know some work to be done by the Warriors. It's a long way to go. They best of seven series in the in the NBA. Finals. Yeah. And Golden State had a thirty eight point third quarter. So really looking forward to dissecting that match. Uh, Burko, here we go. So waiting online is Mick Curran, a former world champion in cycling with Matt Formston, and that's a fabulous story in itself. But Mick's joining us to talk about Jay Hindley. And the young man from WA, I mean, I put this down as possibly the performance of 2022. It's one of the great Australian achievements, winning the Giro d'Italia. Mick, good morning, mate. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Nice to talk to you after all these years. And just a little bit of background for our listeners. I was just telling Gary about your world championships with Matt Formston and what incredible achievements they were over the years. Can you tell us more about your relationship with him? And did you win both in the velodrome and also on the road with Matt Formston? Yeah, so Matt Formston, a visually impaired athlete, was on the back of the tandem. I was on the front of the tandem. So we, uh, we had a good golden five or six years together, uh, jet-setting around the world, racing in the velodrome and on the road. And, yeah, we won on the road the World Cup 
and on the track, the World Championships. Yeah, incredible stuff. And then I told Gary that Matt had, I think, 5% peripheral vision. So if you put your fists up into your eyes, what you get out of the corners is all that Matt could see. So just remarkable by you guys. And then Matt's gone and he's won international medals in adaptive surfing. But Mick, uh, let's get cracking on Jai Hindley and the Giro d'Italia. So first time an Aussie's won it, only the second time in history that an Aussie's won a Grand Tour. Did you sit up and watch a whole lot of this? And what were your thoughts? Yeah, I do follow it uh, quite closely, and especially when Aussie's at the uh, the pointy end of it. But yeah, as you said, uh, 105th running of the Giro, uh, known as the Tour of Italy, and for an Australian to win that, yeah, first time in history, and only the second time an Australian has ever won one of the three Grand Tours behind uh, Cadell Evans in 2011. So, um, but so to a non-cycling fan. Jai's come and bounced on the scene, it seems, but uh, he's been chipping away for a long time. Left home at 18 from WA and moved over to Europe to cut his teeth with a few different teams. And um, he's, he's an absolute grafter, an absolute grinder, who doesn't just try to win on one hero session each week. He, he really has just been chipping away for years. So it's, it's really good for an absolute lovely bloke, by all reports, too, an absolute nice guy to just just chip away, do what he knows he has to do, and then come and deliver on the big stage. Yeah, Mick, I noticed after stage 17, it was a big day in the mountains. He was still in second place, so he still had plenty of work to do. I mean, he was only three seconds behind, but then stage 20, I'm sure you'd like to talk about that. So another big mountain stage, and that's where he really gained his winning edge. Yeah, huge mountain stage, stage 20. It's uh, unfathomable that... uh, coasties that just think about Carryong Hill as being big, but you can get a time zone by six, times that by eight sometimes. Um, yeah, he just sat pretty. He's only 26 years of age, so he, he rode well beyond beyond his years. Typically, a Grand Tour cyclist peaks at the age of 30, um, give or take a few years. But So he sat back for three weeks, and when I say sat back, he did win stage nine, but that was really controlled and measured too. Just sat back until stage 20 and, and waited for uh, Richard Carapaz, which is the um, in the, uh, yeah team Ineos is well the next best rider in the, in the tour, which he comes second in the end. Just sat back and waited for a moment of weakness and, and even held his held all these cards back until the final three kilometres of that that climb on stage 20. And in that final three kilometres, put a minute and a half into uh, the next best rider in the world at the, at the moment. So for him just to to back himself and for his team to back him at the age of 26 and, and stand by his, his means there is just the most, I believe, the most impressive part of the whole three weeks. Yeah, yeah, Mick, Gary Birkinshaw here. So the Giro yeah, d'Italia, for us uh, uh, novices in relation to, to cycling, just explain to us what it actually entails and how difficult it is because it actually goes over three weeks. Is that correct? And, and a lot of mountain stages? Yeah, it's one of those mountainous um, Grand Tours, and when we speak about Grand Tours, it's the Vuelta Espana, so it's Spain, France, and Italy. There's only three each year. And yeah, over three weeks, 21 stages, and it covers uh, just a touch over 3,400 kilometres. And uh, yeah, it's very, very hilly and mountainous. Um, not not too uncommon to be climbing up a hill on a push bike that you or I would <laughs> struggle to get up these days um, for well over an hour at absolute full gas for three whole weeks. Yeah, and Mick, then the final stage is a time trial, and Gary was just saying to me off the air that 
So Jai has been in this position, position before, wearing the pink jersey, and then it all comes down to that final time trial. So I wonder how he was feeling on that final day, but he did have a good buffer, didn't he? Yeah, that's what um, is, is so interesting and so phenomenal about this story is in 2020, so uh, two years ago in the Giro, Italy, exactly the same race, um, coming into the final time trial, Jai actually had one second lead over the eventual winner, Teo Gegenhardt. And it was sort of known that Jai couldn't time trial and Teo could time trial, so one second wasn't enough buffer. And Jai went into the day in pink, so rode, rode in in pink for the final stage of the Giro. He rehearsed all of this two years ago. He went away. He, I know for a fact he went into the wind tunnel, and if he ever come into that position again, he'd be a better time trialer. So he worked on his time trial, worked on his position, and then he didn't have to wait long. Uh, he did do the, the Giro last year. However, he got sick, got injured, actually, yeah, medically had to pull out, um, put that behind him. So next time he actually fronted up in the Giro for real, he was exactly in that position. And he knew that he'd done the work, done the position work, and uh, delivered this time. He did have a little bit more of a buffer, as he did say. Um, he went into it up, Believe off the top of my head about a minute 20, minute 30, I think, and ended up overall winning by a minute 18. So he had a good buffer. Um, but yeah, ironically, just in the same position two years ago, ended up second that day and went one better this year. Yeah, I'd, I, I wish I was in WA this week. I'd like to see the coverage over there. I'd like to know whether he's been front page news in the West Australian because I think it's just such a phenomenal story for a young Australian. He rides for a German team, I believe, and what about some of the men that deserve credit? Now, a lot of our listeners won't know them, but I think they're called domestiques, and they're the riders that yeah. do all the work to put you in the position. So it's all about the team, but they're sacrificing their own race at times or for the one guy to get across the line with, with the glory. Uh, do you know who the other riders that were around him that deserve credit? Yeah, that's right. The domestiques are um, yeah, it's a very, it's the, the beauty uh, of cycling. All, all up, but uh, yeah, the domestiques are the guys that are around him just absolutely bury themselves on the day every single day and don't even need to finish. Well, they need to finish within a half an hour of the winner to continue on in the in the actual race. But um, yeah, those guys just ride run endlessly to get Jai into the position and sort of dump him off at the end. There's some really good footage of just absolutely burying themselves, giving him a pat on the back making sure he's got a bottle of water and saying, hey, the rest is up to you. So it is It's definitely a team sport. However, not like the NRL or footy or AFL that you guys are at now. They're, uh, yeah, really behind, behind the scenes kind of guys. Hey, Mick, there'll be huge coverage of the Tour de France, obviously. How's the Giro viewed? I mean, I don't feel like it gets the same coverage in Australia, but how's the Giro d'Italia viewed throughout Europe? Yeah, it's um, if you if you had to, it's, it's an odd one because the media, just like everything in this world, when something gets a little bit of media coverage and, and starts getting pushed and, and becomes a commercial value or there's a commercial value put on it, it instantly you think, oh, it must be the hardest. But um, the Tour de France just ends up getting all of that media and that commercial grab when the Giro is just the beautiful tour and the Italians are just so passionate. I've seen a few stages of the Giro and it's. It's a lot more accessible. If you if you had to go and watch one, it's the more user-friendly one to go and watch over in Europe because there's just so much fanfare around the, 
the Tour de France that it's almost losing touch and almost robotic, if you will. But the Giro is just much more passionate and beautiful, so it's um, it's, it's not as commercial. So if you ask an Italian which one's the best <laughs> tour, they'll tell you the Giro, and they <laughs> will tell you they won't even watch the Tour de France. Um, and if you ask uh, a French person, they'll they'll tell you the Tour de France is the deal and end all. And then you ask the Spaniards, and they'll tell you once again they don't even watch the other two. So very uh, <laughs> question, but uh, but the Giro is the uh, the beautiful, passionate. To, uh, and, and the Tour de France is the commercialised one, if you want to simply put. Hey, we're, we're starting to get close to our, our next commercial break. Yeah. Gary, you were saying to me that Jai won't do the Tour de France? Yeah, that, that's correct. And Mick, I think he's come out and said that he, he won't correct. be doing the Tour de France this year. He'll try and focus on it for next year? Yeah, it's all that, um, Yeah, just quickly. Yeah, that's correct. Next year, he'll uh, for it's, it's too quick to throw him into that because he really wants to focus on getting back to New South Wales and to Wollongong for the World Championship. It's a great opportunity to ride a home world. So he doesn't want to hinder that lead up to the world. So he'll do the Vuelta and then a week later fly to Australia for the World Championships in Wollongong. Hey, Mick, just one more, my friend. Um, I believe uh, my wife met you yesterday in this magnificent new cycling shop that you've got. Is it the Cycle House in Gosford? Yeah, correct. Coast Cycle House in East Gosford. So, catering to all the cyclists and triathletes on the coast. And it's a, uh, been a long time coming. Uh, once I get all the racing around the world out of the road now, I can settle down and, and absolutely do what I love and, 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 and passionate about. So, it's uh, yeah, it's not really a job, is it? So, no. Now, well, so, yeah, come and visit. Sharon said the store is just absolutely beautiful and a few people have suggested we go and do the show live from the Cycle House at some point. Uh, that'd be a fun show. That would be a fun show. Through the Tour de France would be would be a good time with all the Aussies uh, lining up. There's, um, yeah, I won't go into it now, maybe another day, but there's a big stack of those 26-year-old boys, a lot from WA, that are absolutely going to come through and you'll, they'll be household names, not too... Uh, dissimilar to Jai, and they're all uh, his mates. They all live together in Europe, and they've come through the last 10 years, and they're all phenomenal. Yeah, does that mean we start broadcasting at midnight, and uh, we're still there at 9am when the show goes to air? Mate, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Great <laughs> to chat to you again, and uh, love your insight on the Giro d'Italia this morning. Thanks, Steve, and thank you, Gary. That's uh, Mick Curran joining us, and uh, I, I just believe that that's probably the sporting performance, along with Cameron Smith in Hawaii earlier this year, uh, the best performance by an Aussie in 2022. Yeah, I think you're right there, Steve, because you only go back oh, through I the I forgot history. Nash Barty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, put her <laughs> on the podium as that's well. That's right. She retires. You just forget about it. But I think you're right there. The fact that there's only been two Aussies that have ever won any of these, these grand tours, and I think that puts it in perspective because, yeah, there's been plenty of cyclists, good cyclists in uh, in Australia, and for, for him to achieve that, and I just find unfathomable over three weeks of climbing mountains, it's a... Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible performance yeah. and you know, credit to, to him and his team. And the fact he was runner-up two years ago with absolute heartbreak in that final stage as well, the time trial. We're off to a break. Back in a few moments, Ian Rebillia joining us after 10.30. It's Saturdays on the Coast, live from Adelaide Street Oval, Kalani Vale on SEN. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good morning. We're live at the Adelaide Street Oval at Killarney Vale, watching the reserve grade women. And one thing is for sure, in this Bombers side, Ange Jones has been phenomenal. Great to watch her. She's like a Group 1 winner. That's running in a maiden handicap. 
It certainly is. And one thing that I'm quite intrigued by, uh, Steve, is that she's actually run herself to a standstill out. She's covering all parts of the ground. And she's got to run around later on this afternoon and play uh, <laughs> rugby sevens out uh, for, the, for the Trojans. So just <laughs> credit to her fitness and, and that as well. She's going to be able to back up and play... Uh, um, a, a two sport and, and like she's left no, nothing on the, the table here either she's put on some, some big hits and certainly the, her class is, is undoubted and um, yeah it's been pretty good Cardiff are, are in front here at the moment by 49 points and the, the scoreboard is probably as expected um, Cardiff are coming in second place and hey, uh, by the, by and the way we're, sorry to interrupt Burko but the uh, Bombers reserve grade side running past us at the moment Jeff McLean is uh, part of that side one of the players I played with uh, many years ago and Geez, he's looking fit. Simo is part of the team as well. And uh, the big bird, Will DeFulvio, who works at NBN Television, also part of this group. Uh, can't see him warming up at the moment, but he's about six foot eight. And uh, good luck to the Bombers reserve grade team. Top of the table clash later on today against Cardiff. Also another blockbuster, Newcastle City up against Terrigal Avoca. That game being played at Tugra. Head coach of the Bombers. The mastermind behind the operation is joining us, Corey Shackleton, a legend of the club. Good morning, mate. How are you, Steve? Yeah, we're well, Shack. Uh, are you at Saturday morning netball as we speak? Yeah, I'm just doing the run there now. So I'll go and uh, watch the daughter play some netball and then get back Adelaide Street for the big one. Yeah, now just perfect conditions. Bombers have kicked a goal as we speak. And we've been, I guess, all morning we've been talking about salivating, really, about watching women's reserve grade how awesome is that that the depth is so huge on the coast now that there's two grades in women's afl yeah it's fantastic it's amazing how quickly it's grown it was only you know probably four or five years ago that it was it felt like it was just a concept that we we're going to have women's footy and we got excited about that and, and now here we are we've got we've got two grades and you know it's going from strength to strength yeah look uh shaq gary birkinshaw here mate how are you good how are you gary yeah, good, mate, good, mate. Lovely being down here at Adelaide Street Oval. Well, beautiful conditions today. And, uh, look, you'll be excited by, by where you've got uh, your boys sitting at the moment, sitting on top undefeated. And, and you've, you've already you've, you've played Cardiff, you've played Terrigal, and you've played Newcastle City. So so your main opposition you've been able to get over the top of in the first part of the season. So you've certainly got to be happy with the way you've started, albeit it is a long season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't be any happier, really, I suppose, from a... From where we sit on the ladder and where it's been testing in terms of be it the weather and, and all the other things that have been going on, you know, ground availabilities and a bit of uncertainty. But otherwise, yeah, it's, it's been really good. Uh, I, guess, well, I guess the reality is Cardiff's probably been the form team for the last three or four weeks. They've really been building nicely, got a few players coming back and uh, it's just going to be a great test. And as will the, I mean, it'd be great to see how Terry will go against Newcastle City today as well. So there's a really, it's a really good even competition this year. It seems like you know there's a lot of teams in the race, which is really good. Corey, we've spoken a, a little bit about your team and some of the star players because Gary saw your side in action a few weeks ago against Terrigal. What about Cardiff? Who were some of the prime movers? Um, yeah, they've got they've got a new guy up forward that's an ex Maitland junior, a guy called Trevon Sharon. He kicked nine last week. He's really lively and. Got some good football smarts, so he didn't play last time we played him. He's a he's a really handy footballer, and then uh, their skipper Jack Pratt's a really just a hard footballer, just a real old school style, and, and he's always troubling. And uh, they've got they've got their prime mover back guy called Marcus Delore. He hasn't played this season yet, and he's, he's due back today from all reports. And he's a very very classy footballer. So they've got a, just a good spread across the park. Really, that's the great thing about I suppose Cardiff is that they're they're a good one to twenty two. They don't necessarily rely on. Anyone in particular? 
I do notice in the last couple of weeks they've, they've had some close encounters and it's probably very good for the Hunter Central Coast AFL competition. Well, actually, like they had a narrow win against Warners Bay. I think that was by about nine points. I think their game against Newcastle, so local derby, that was fairly close as well. So, But they're getting over the line. Yeah, and I think that's what we've... I mean, you know, I guess what we've found as well, even in our games, it's been... It's been an arm wrestle in all the games. I mean, even for us last week against Singleton, you know, you kind of first, first, last on the table, but they were in front of quarter time, and it was it was an arm wrestle all day. And, and the same with Cardiff, you know, they're they're in great form, but I mean, they they put a bit of a score on Maitland last week, but generally there's um, there's no real easy games, which is great for the competition because we probably have had a few years where yeah, Newcastle and Terrigal have really dominated. Jack, you've been at the helm for a couple of years now, and and Kalani Vale's always been there and thereabouts without ever being able to probably really threaten the the top couple of sides, your Terrigals and Newcastle Cities over the year. Where's the improvement come from from the Bombers outfit this year that that's really put you at, at the top of the tree as we stand now? Yeah, well, I think the last you're right. The last few years has, for us has been a big a big thing about culture and just building the right habits and getting the the youth that we had coming through just with the right behaviours on the football field in terms of you know their work ethic and the way they train and prepare. And then we've had the luxury over the off-season of getting Tim Ustoff back. I mean, he won an Elliott Davy medal back in 2018. And uh, we've got Rick White back on the track this year. We picked up a guy called Trent Stubbs, who's you know been around some good footy over the journey, and Nathan Smith and a guy called Tom Sawyer. And there's been probably half a dozen really solid recruits that we've had that just complements the group that we've got you know from ex-juniors. And now it's really well-balanced. And... We've got some strike power, which, you know, hopefully puts us in a position to match the, the Terrigals and the Cities and, you know, Cardiff now as well. Have you had um, any interaction at all with the great Mark McVeigh, who's now coaching uh, GWS? Interesting you mentioned He come down and trained it on Thursday, just gone actually. So he come down and um, I think they've got the bye this week. So he popped down as he does just to roll some footies in and help out and, and that's what's great about about Mark is he, you know, he's obviously a bomber at heart, and whenever he's got a free moment, he always comes down and helps out. And he doesn't he doesn't want to take over anything. He just enjoys being back at grassroots and just joining in with some drills and helping out. So that was really great to have him down. And obviously, the boys love to see him and say hi and listen to his, you know, words of wisdom. Yeah, speaking of grassroots, Corey, uh, Kalani have always been a strong junior club. And once again, your side, it's always it's got that nice balance of, of local juniors. You mentioned about the players you've brought in, but you've also got a number of juniors who've come through the system who, who are real, really now starting to blossom into good first-grade footballers. Yeah, for sure. And we, we kind of, yeah, guys like Luke Flack and Brandon Lloyd, um, NJ Convy, Jordan Kenobi, then we've got, they're probably the younger crop that's come through. And then we've got, some of the more older statesmen that are also ex-juniors, you know, Brendan Lewis and Rick White, you know, guys like that that, um, you know, for us, yeah, form the nucleus. And I think those younger kids that have come through the junior ranks too are, are going to be the nucleus for the next decade. And that's what we want to build. And that's what the good clubs have done over the years. That's what Terrigal's done really well is they've, they've got that core group and stuck together. And, you, you know, you just build around that. Uh, Shaq, what can you tell us about your, your skipper, Josh Mifford? He's been around for a long time, a really courageous player, but he really epitomises what the Kalani Vale Football Club's all about. Oh, yeah. When it comes to ex-juniors and, and class, Josh Mifford's just, he's unbelievable. He, um, I, he's, he's not a guy that's, that's, that's big on words or anything, but when you talk about big on actions, there's no one better. He just, everything he does is just, we call him the Rolls Royce. It's just first class. It's, it's clean. It's courageous. He, 
I've just probably never seen a kid from the age of 15 that came into first grade footy and has just done it from day one, from, you know, the first contest. He just, every time, just, he's, uh, I don't have enough words to kind of describe how, how much of a pleasure it is to, to play with him and then now to coach him. He's, he's just an outstanding human being and a great footballer. Yeah, and one last question for you, mate. We heard you, another pickup was a player out of my old competition on the Gold Coast. So someone out of Labrador, did you pick up a new recruit from there? Yeah, we did a guy called a guy called Tim Hanley. He played he played down at Port Melbourne and he played up at Labrador as well. He, he come up well, probably about three or four weeks ago. We come across him had had a kick with us and he, he played last week against England and he got about a quarter in. But unfortunately, he just sustained a minor calf injury, so he um he's a couple of weeks out at the moment. But he's a yeah, he's a big lad and he's fit and he kind of sent half forward, sent half back time. Bit of a uh, social media uh, celebrity too, like uh, <laughs> about yeah hundreds of thousands of followers I hear. Yeah, yeah, I know. He, uh, he's, he's definitely got more followers than I do. He, uh, he was on The Bachelorette, I think, a few years ago, so um, that might help our women's footy ranks. But uh, I know my wife's interested in football again, so that's good. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Great to have you on the show. Uh, we need to go to the news, but uh, looking forward to seeing you down here later on. Top of the table clash in local AFL. Bombers up against Cardiff. And the man who's got the, the Bombers humming in 2022, Corey Shackleton, thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon. Yeah, Shaq uh, played with him. Uh, just terrific kid. Great family. Awesome family, and they do so much. Well, his mum in particular, off the field, that's another whole story, as we know. Uh, let's go to the news. We'll come back in a moment, talk some NBA. Moose Rebilia joining us as the Celtics go 1-0 up in the NBA Best of Seven final series against Golden State. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, welcome back. We're live at the Adelaide Street Oval. Top of the table clash this afternoon. Bombers up against Cardiff in the main game. And then just down the road, Newcastle City up against Terrigal Avoca. Time now to talk the NBA Finals as the Cardiff team are right alongside us, ready for this uh, reserve-grade clash. NBA Finals. Celtics get the job done. They're Moose Rebilliard's team. Good morning, mate. And what an unbelievable game, particularly the last quarter, 40-16, to 16, Celtics win game one. Yeah, g'day, Steve, and hi, Gary. Yeah, quite. I don't think anyone would have picked the Celtics actually doing that at <laughs> in San Francisco. So, you know, obviously a great win uh, in on game one for the uh, for the Celtics. Yeah, g'day, Ian. Um, yeah, look, it was an interesting game. I actually sat through and watched the game, and the Celtics has to, had to withstand a Steph Curry masterclass in the in the the first quarter. I think he, he sunk six three pointers and. And then they were able to hold him scoreless. But that last quarter, 40-16, to 16, and Celtics just seemed to be bombing three-pointers from everywhere. And Al Horford had six three-pointers. <laughs> I don't think he's sunk six three-pointers in his career, let alone, uh, let alone in one quarter. But, uh, look, they were very good good Celtics. And, and um, to win without Jason Tatum having a big influence certainly, uh, certainly gives them plenty of confidence as they move forward. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean... You know, if you watch that last quarter, I think the focus from the Celtics moved to the defensive end, and that often triggers, you know, how a team uh, can flow offensively. But, you know, Jalen Brown, smart. I, I really loved Al, Al Horford's game. It's his first ever finals, you know, having been a bit of a journeyman and found himself back at the Celtics. He's been there before 
I thought he probably was the difference, truth be known, and, and Jalen Brown kept him in touch. And then Horford just had an outstanding game. And uh, you have a soft spot for him because, you know, he might not get there again. So uh, you're right. And, and they head back there on, I think it's Monday, so Tuesday out time for game two. And I don't know how Steve Kerr will make some adjustments to try and close down the number of scoring threats that the Celtics showed on game one. Uh, Ian, do you think that um, the, the break that that the Warriors had between, because they won in, in straight sets their, their playoff game, that actually that had an impact on them as they come against a Celtic side who come off a, a seven-game series, whether they were more in sync? Cause you know, I know I've read about in basketball that an extended break doesn't actually do you a lot of favours at this level. That's that's a great question because I think it's the first postseason loss for Golden State. Is that right, Moose? Yeah, it is. And, and you're right, Gary. I mean, having played, I would have been liking to have been in the Warriors camp because, you know, those niggling injuries, a bit of tiredness. You've got a few more games while... Boston and the Heat were battling it out into Game 7, and even for, for Boston to get over Miami in Miami in Game 7, I mean, that that's quite remarkable. Um, and So, you know, they're, they're coming in with a whole lot of self-belief, and I think probably in Game 1, that was the difference. I mean, Steph Curry in that first quarter was just unbelievable, uh, and you'd be sitting there thinking, crikey, how do you, how do you stop the Warriors? But they're very um, three-point focused, but having said that, so, so too with the Celtics. I think in this game, the, the most three scored in any NBA final. So it's just a remarkable, a remarkable stat line that you probably didn't see coming. Hey, Moose, uh, Gary's got another question, and he asked me this off the air, and I'm really looking forward to your answer. So it's, it's around Steph Curry and his impact on basketball. Yeah, you're, you're a basketball purist, Moose. There's no doubt about that. You've been around the game for a long time. And there's been plenty of discussion, I suppose, not only recent times, but, but over, over the past few years about when Seth Curry, Seth Curry finishes his career, how he will be defined in the game. Because people are saying now, he, he, it's, as good as he is, he's actually ruined the game of basketball because it's just become a, a three-point-a-thon. And you mentioned about the, the most number of three-points uh, scored in a final, but there were actually 86 three-point shots taken in, in, in game one. So where do you stand on on the changing of the game? Yeah, well, I, you know, it's one at the defensive end, and that's that was demonstrated in the fourth quarter. Um, Steph Curry, I think his impact on the game, I mean, I don't think there's been a better pure shooter than him. If there is, it's probably his co-partner in Clay Thompson. <laughs> he yeah. can bomb from anywhere. Um, but I think if you can put pressure on the rim, uh, you put teams under what often you term def- you know, rotational defensive uh, adjustments. And that's where Boston, I thought, were outstanding. The ball moved like it used to with the Spurs. Um, and I thought, I thought the Warriors struggled to actually uh, defend that inside-outside game. And that's why Boston were able to get game one. Steve Kerr, he's a great coach, and I'm sure he'll make some adjustments to take that away, keep players in front. Um, but I think to go back to Gary's question, Steve Kerr hasn't ruined the game. He's just shown what you can do from range as a three-point threat. He he is unmatched. Who who was it that 
came up with the block for the Celtics, then went coast to coast with a monster dunk. Yeah, that, well, that was Jalen Brown. And he's, Four. you know, he's a, a wing player, like he's a three-man, two-three. But he just plays, you know, both ends of the floor. That's what they're renowned for. And, and again, I'll say it, you know, when he, when he blocked that shot, and I'm not sure who, who he blocked, it was on a breakaway fast break, and then uh, Boston threw it down the line, and he came down the middle to receive that pass and throw it down. You go, that's, that's pretty outstanding at this level. And it kind of epitomised, if, if you were to pick one play in that, that game, that probably epitomises what the Celtics are all about. It's play hard at both ends, and, and uh, you know, they've got a lot of self-belief and coming into game two. If they snatch game two in in, uh, in San Francisco, they head to, to the TD Gardens with two games under their belt. Look out. Anything could yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah, you're right there, Moose. And, and look, it's going to be a good coaching effort from Steve Kerr because when you look at the personnel that the Warriors have, it is a very shooter-orientated roster. Whilst you look at the Celtics, they look more rounded and, and can play in and out, as, as you mentioned earlier. So Steve Kerr is certainly going to have his work cut out to, to come up with a plan. And obviously, if, if, they can, if they can have a good night shooting again, which is going to, what they're going to need to have, obviously they can blow anyone off the park. But, gee, I'm lo- really looking forward to game two. Yeah, and one of the things that stood out for me, uh, you know, and it's how do you stop, how do you stop uh, Steph Curry? on these on balls and, and they made some adjustments and Horford did it beautifully well. Uh, at the start, the, the person setting the screen for Curry to come off was simply too deep and Curry just came off the screen and, and fired the three ball. But then as the game went on, that person guarding the screener was a lot closer to the screening line action so that as Curry came off, he's, he's facing, you know, six, eight, six, nine defenders um, and he's got to kick the ball on, and that was very noticeable. So the adjustments that the Celtics made on Curry after the first quarter, very, very good coaching. Hey, Moose, uh, have you got a few more minutes? We'll come back after the break and just talk about the Crusaders. Yeah, big day for the Crusaders as well. <laughs> yeah, Happy to we'll stay do- on, Steve. We'll do all that uh, right after the break. We're watching the reserve grade action at the Adelaide Street Oval. Uh, just before we go to the break, Burko... It's almost like they roll out the red carpet for you. I mean, you are the greatest administrator in the history of this competition and you're revered down here. And, I mean, I've got to say, so am I after, you know, five... I mean, they were the final years of my career, but, uh, you know, I kind of paved the way for them to win the premiership in 07. They still talk about you down here, Steve. You're, you're always most welcome. And look, I've, I've had a good relationship with from Kalani Bar from when I was involved with the administration of the league. And, look, they do a fantastic job, but... I'm surprised they haven't named the building after you, Steve, to be perfectly honest. No, no, it should be. Well, what do you think it should be? Because they're going to celebrate the 1982 grand final team. That's coming up soon, and I know everyone locally is looking forward to it. Now, that's, that's the team that had uh, Tony McVeigh, you know, legend of the game. But that, that whole team are full of rock stars. And, um, Was Wal Harrison in that team? No, too early for Wal Harrison. Yeah. But, uh, you know, five-time best and fairest at the footy club. But I think Richo, Johnny Carpenter. Oh, yeah. uh, so it was, it was almost like the all-star midfield for Kalani Bar Bombers. And they had the original Michael Smith. Yeah. So, 
like he's a goal-kicking legend in this competition. So 1982, they'll celebrate the 40-year anniversary of that premiership-winning side. So a lot to look forward to down here at Kalani Vale. Off to a break. Back in a moment. Saturdays on the coast on SEN. Thanks to Robson Civil Projects, also McDonald Jones Homes, Whitey's Right Price Tyres, and BJ Howes Meadowland. We love all of those guys for supporting our show. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, and we're live from the Adelaide Street Oval. Perfect conditions here. The ground is immaculate, and we're watching the reserve grade game at the moment. Cardiff off to a bit of a flyer here. They won the reserve grade women as well, and they lead here two goals, 2-14. The Bombers yet to score. Let's go back to Ian Rebilliard. Got a couple of minutes in this segment for an update on the Crusaders. Gary, you said they're playing the uh, the team from Wollongong. Yeah, I think they've got uh, Illawarra today. Is that right, uh, Ian? Yeah, we have. So we've got uh, four teams down in the gong today with Youth League women, Youth League men, then now NBL1 women and NBL1 men. Uh, some big news, though, with the men's side, obviously, Steve, I'm still helping in in the uh, coaching ranks there when I'm available. And we uh, unveiled today Jalen Grant. So this is Horace Grant's nephew. Uh, he, gets to start, he gets to start today, his first game for the Crusaders in the champ men's side. And I was fortunate to coach his brother, uh, Jeray Grant, when I was at the Kings. So some, uh, some very, very good pedigree uh, in yeah. the Grant family. And uh, he suits up for us tonight. Yeah, yeah. I need to know. I mean, how in the world does Moose pull this off and squeeze him into the salary cap? So we've got an absolute <laughs> superstar uh, from one of the most famous basketball families in the world, Guru. Yeah, look, that's, that's fantastic news, Moose. I tell you what, mate, you, you move in the right circles, don't you? <laughs> I'd like to say it was all me, but it wasn't. Uh, a lot of that work was uh, Tim Hudson, uh, who was my assistant back in the day and uh, had, had stayed in touch with the Grant family. So Jeray's a young man, like he's 25. Uh, he's actually a chef by trade, actually, and he's working when he's not playing at uh, the Terrigal Ile de France, the French restaurant <laughs> at Terrigal. So he's, uh, he's working there as a sous chef. Um, but when he's not working, he's, uh, he's working out with the Crusaders. So it's a pretty good story all around. Yeah, what type of a player is he? What can you tell us? Yeah, he's, look, he's a 4-5, uh, which is what we need because we're a bit undersized when time again uh, went down with that Achilles injury. Uh, got a lot of length. He's, he's probably 6-7, um, but he's long. Um, and he's a young man looking to, you know, gain a, a foothold for his, you know, career in basketball. So it's, this is a very semi-professional league, as you know, but there's a lot of imports now coming into the league. We play one tonight in Kiwi Gardner. Um, one Oliver Rebilia that'll have his work cut out trying to stop this bloke tonight. But <laughs> it, it's, it's good for the league. It's good for our club. And um, it's, it's nice to see that we're able to bring imports into this league. Yeah, and Moose, just before we go, uh, thank you again for the broadcast we did from Mingara, the Regional Academies of Sport Coaching Conference. It's without doubt the best coaches conference I've ever been to and credit to yourself and Brett O'Farrell for pulling that off. Uh, actually, this week I'll talk to Kerry Podhast on my podcast. She was a special guest that morning along with Brad McGee, the Olympic gold medalist from Athens. And congratulations to everyone involved at the Regional Academies of Sport, Sport Moose. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're still getting a lot of people sending us notes of just appreciation 
saying how valuable it was. But some other good news, Steve, we, we being the Central Coast, have secured that event for another two years. So uh, we, we look to build on a very, very high platform that we set up in year one. All credit, and you know this, to Emily Burgess-Moore, who did an outstanding job. And, uh, yeah, we, we'll look to build on that in the current, uh, the coming two years. Our extension program, which will be a Zoom program, has some of the best coaches in the world already scheduled to come on uh, for that event. So we're putting a lot of focus in coaching, which you guys know, and you, you've obviously been around this, Gary, for years at the very oval you're sitting at today, how critical it is to have good coaches in the development ages for, uh, for growth of your sport. Yeah, well done, Moose. We desperately need to get to a break. Uh, we'll come back and wrap this show up in just a few moments' time from the Adelaide Street Oval. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, live from the Adelaide Street Oval, the home of the Kalani Val Bombers. Uh, just very, very quickly, uh, Netball. This is explosive from the Players Association saying that they're calling for a change in culture, more consultation with the senior players. This is after they've gone ahead and announced the grand final in Perth, Gary. Yeah, look, an amazing decision and uh, you know, one that after round 12 they, they made the change. So it's obviously, as administrator, you can understand it. It's a, uh, it's, you know, they're trying to balance the books as well, but... Yeah, the consultation part has certainly been... uh, I don't think they've read the room, to be honest. Such a powerful press release from the Players Association, unlike anything I've ever seen. Let's roll in some Ray Warren commentary to finish the show this morning. Here we go. This is the Mark Coyne try. Coyne! Coyne goes for the corner and gets the try! Queensland! It's a miracle! Oh, yeah! What about that one? That's not a try. That's a miracle! Yeah, absolutely amazing. Ray Warren has caught his last game of footy. We started listening to him in the 1980s. We try to emulate him, copy him, uh, impersonate him. Well done to Ray Warren. That's our show this morning. We'll catch you next week, Saturdays on the Coast.